And welcome back to Favorite Things for this American Thanksgiving week. <laughs> um, so we are back in the world of Sony Spider-Man after taking a brief detour to uh, watch four Ghostbusters movies. Uh, two that were really good, uh, one that was okay, and one that I could take or leave. Um <laughs> But we are coming back to the world of Spider-Man, and uh, as with all great properties, uh, when things start going sideways, you reboot. That's right. Uh, so, uh, the last time we talked about the Spider-Man film franchise, uh, we were talking about Spider-Man 3, a movie that I have now officially seen all the way through twice. Um... I've started it more than that, uh, and I've not been able to get through it, but the one time I saw it in a movie theater and this past time when we watched it. <laughs> um, there is no argument that it is not a good movie, uh, and for those of you who are trying to make that argument, please, I beg you, watch other things. There are really <laughs> good movies out there and trying to be contrarian is just hurting all of us. Um, it's okay to move on. It's okay to admit that a movie is not a good movie. It's also okay to admit that you enjoy a movie that's not a good movie. It's okay. I watched Masters of the Universe five times. It's not a good movie, but I really enjoy it. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I'm sure we'll do it at some point when we do it. Uh, 80s movie flashback. Anyhow. Like riff tracks it or something. I don't think we're going to riff tracks it. I think we're going to watch it and I will be gushing over how how wonderfully bad it is and you're going to be like why are you making me watch this? Yeah. Probably. No, I'm, uh, it was it's exciting to get back to the world of Spider-Man, especially uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we're actually going to try to get through Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 both this week. Uh, not this episode, but this week. Yeah. Just because I was looking at the timeline for when we are going to see uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And we are going to run out of time. Yeah. Uh, so, in order to be able to see uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and see... Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I really, really, really want to revisit uh, before we get to that one. Uh, we are going to try to knock out both Amazing Spider-Man films this week. Um, I'm also on kind of a big Andrew Garfield kick right now, so I'm excited to watch Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, this week... Before we ever got to Amazing Spider-Man, we sat down uh, and watched Tick, Tick, Boom on uh, Netflix, uh, which is a semi-autobiographical musical about uh, Jonathan Larson and uh, the creator of the musical Rent. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, full transparency, before this movie, um, Tick, Tick, Boom, before... Uh, after the Amazing Spider-Man films, I have become a huge fan of Andrew Garfield. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. He elevates anything he's in. 
and I just, I feel like he gives great performances. If you like musicals, stories about show business in New York, um, or Andrew Garfield, uh, or you're curious what it would be like for Lin-Manuel Miranda not to compose, but direct a motion picture, check out Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. It's a very interesting watch. Andrew Garfield is a, is a really good performer. I mean, he can sing so and, good. And he's a good singer. <laughs> um, I was kind of shocked that that was Spider-Man. It is a, it's a different movie, but it's one I very much enjoyed. Um, that's my mini review of Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, going into Amazing Spider-Man this week, I remember really, really liking this when I saw it in theaters in 2012. I've watched it a couple times since. Actually, probably out of all the Spider-Man films, this is probably the one I've revisited the most. Um, I, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, it is definitely a product of its time. Uh, and the thing that still holds it afloat for me is Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's performances in this movie. Uh, they have amazing chemistry, so much so uh, that they ended up dating each other for a number of years after this. Um, and it works. As a movie, it works. As a superhero movie, it works. As a Spider-Man movie, it works. There are some people who have more affection for the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, mm -hmm. and those people are entitled to being wrong. <laughs> and, and there are people who shun this in favor of Tom Holland because he's a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I understand that. For me... Andrew Garfield will always be my Spider-Man. At least until we get to the Daniel Craig equivalent of Spider-Man. Uh, and I will I will share what I'm what I mean by that. Um, so there are a lot of people who for a long time thought that Sean Connery was the only good James Bond. Then there are a lot of people who grew up with Roger Moore and he was the only James Bond. Very few people think that Timothy Dalton is the best James Bond. <laughs> However, I very much think he's the best James Bond. Um, Even more than that, Daniel Craig? Well, I think Daniel Craig is basically a sequel to the Timothy Dalton <laughs> Bonds. I think we briefly talked on it when we did our James Bond series, but um, I'll make the connection, listeners. If you think we're chasing a rabbit trail, we are, but <laughs> we're going to bring it back. Um, so Timothy Dalton had this different take um, than any of the previous Bonds. Uh, Sean Connery had come in and he was, he was smarmy, but he had a bit of an edge to him. Roger Moore was much more lighthearted and campy. Timothy Dalton came in and he was very much the book James Bond. He was a dark, cynical, but a professional killer through and through. Uh, he only had two films. Things ran out. Pierce Brosnan comes in as James Bond in 1995 through 2002. And he kind of tries to hybridize the Sean Connery uh, smarmy with an edge and the, the campy Roger Moore into one. 
and it works for some people, it doesn't for others. Um, but eventually his time runs out as James Bond. They find a new James Bond and they want to take it back to the books. So Daniel Craig's big thing, people have immediate upset nature because he doesn't have the dark hair of James Bond, which is dumb. Hair color, <laughs> hair color can change. It really doesn't matter. It's the performance. And Daniel Craig gives that dark Bond performance. He is, he is cynical. He is dark. He is a killer. And it is straight up Timothy Dalton's James Bond. Um, but it took almost 20 years for the public to be ready for that. Yeah. And Andrew Garfield delivers, bringing it back, Andrew Garfield delivers the Spider-Man that I grew up with in the 90s um, and in the early 2000s. And that's a Spider-Man who was self-assured. Um, even as Peter Parker, yeah, he was maybe nerdier in his interests than his contemporaries but he wasn't a complete and total freak or geek yeah um whereas when you watch the toby Maguire spider-man movies when he's not spider-man he is a social pariah he is unacceptable in any social setting yeah then you get spider-man 3 and he's just he's just an a-hole the entire time before the black suit after the black suit yeah. during the black suit he is just not a good person with Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker and, and subsequently Spider-Man you have a flawed teenager who is dealing with trauma before Uncle Ben dies <laughs> um, in that his parents literally dumped him on the front doorstep of his aunt and uncle uh and i have a theory about that that i'll share <laughs> on the air i shared it with you while we were watching yes. the movie um and then his uncle is killed and then spoiler alert for this film at the end his girlfriend's father is killed right in front of him and this is the spider-man that is very much the comic spider-man that i a, grew up with, but also have grown to know as I have dived deeper into comics, Spider-Man is just as defined by his losses as his victories. Yeah. And it's it's these losses of people around him. It's the loss of um, even just defeats. Like, one of the great things about Stan Lee's Marvel Comics is the fact that Unlike, sorry, cat playing with stuff. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we put that somewhere else? Anyhow, uh, up until the 1960s uh, and even into the 70s, most of the time when the superheroes show up, everything goes great. Uh, and then Stan Lee enters in when he's trying to figure out what he wants to do. He's going into publishing. No one's publishing the stories that he wants to publish. He's feeling really fed up. And so he talks to his wife and decides, I'm going to tell the type of stories I want to tell. And the only people hiring are these kind of dumb, amazing adult fantasy comic books. 
And so he tells a story that's a, a morality tale about a teenager who gets all the power he could ever want and then loses those closest to him. It's it's very much an, an Aesop's fable, but with a superhero dressing on it. And that's the origin of Spider-Man, we all know, and the origin of, of the of the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. A, a phrase that they beat around the bush with in this film, they don't say it outright while doing their best to get the thought across. And, and there's things I like and don't like about that. We'll get to it. But the stories are, are always told about if a hero wins, it's at great cost. And Stan Lee is a, was a great lover of literature, and so he loved the stories of the classical monsters like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, the Portrait of Dorian Gray, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He loved these classic monster stories and, and the subsequent films that were made out of them uh, by Universal and, and other properties. And he wanted to bring that to a younger audience. And so he makes these stories, these Spider-Man stories. And if you notice, every time in even the Tobey Maguire movies, every villain is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even in this film, it's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story of, uh, of Kirk Connors becoming the lizard. He's this altruistic professor who has a flaw. His flaw is he he doesn't have an arm. He's involved for a a corporate company that does nefarious things. And to make sure that, in this, they actually give it a good twist, to make sure that experiments aren't done on unwitting human participants, he tests on himself. And the power eventually warps him to the point where he wants to do evil. Um, He doesn't think he's wanting to do evil. He thinks he's doing a greater good for humanity. But it... at the cost of humanity. And it's what works really well about those classic monster stories is it's the twisting of an ideal that takes away our humanity. It's what makes a great villain. And it's what's really good about Spider-Man's 1 and 2 and this film and doesn't really work in Spider-Man 3. It's the story of someone who's good and you get to see the good side of them or the good intention side of them. In Spider-Man 1, Norman Osborn is a jerk and, and kind of awful, but he is fighting really hard to save his company and to somehow take care of his son. Um, incredibly flawed, but somehow Willem Dafoe pulls off that performance. In Spider-Man 2, we get a lot more empathy for the character of Otto Octavius because he cares for his wife and he's trying to come up with renewable energy. And if you have paid for gas recently, that's something that, yeah, I would really like to find someone who comes up with renewable energy. Uh, that I don't have to pay $3 a gallon to be able to go anywhere for a week. Um, These are all good purposes. Uh, Even Kurt Connors, uh, 
They mention in this movie the possibility of curing Parkinson's, uh, the ability to regrow limbs. If we had the ability to do all these things, it's great in theory. The problem that all these movies put forward is are we willing to sacrifice our own humanity? Are we willing to sacrifice our own uh, morals in the chase of this dream? And and there's not a clear cut yeah or no in, in the whole pursuit, but you when you smash it out in a pulpy superhero way, it works really well. And this movie has so much more nuance than the Raimi Spider-Man movies did because they came from that 90s and early 2000s era where you had guys like Brian Michael Bendis, you had uh, uh, Chris Claremont, you had uh, Todd McFarlane, you had guys who had grown up and literally gotten literary degrees in major... Uh, major universities some of these guys even got PhDs in English Lit and these guys are now telling stories that are being sold for a buck fifty to teenagers and children and they're taking all of that nuance that they grew up with in, in books in the same way that Stan Lee did and they're now putting it into a 22 page or in a, a 50 page double issue uh, story that in a short amount of time is has become the number one film genre of the United States and most of the world these superhero stories the Spider-Man of this film played by Andrew Garfield is not a social outcast but he's he's just shy enough that you're like, okay, I get that this guy would rather be on his computer than at the school football game. Yeah. I get that this guy, when uh, everyone's out on the field for his free period, he's hanging out with the cheerleaders. <laughs> I get that this this guy's hobbies are uh, filmmaking, uh, photography, and computer science. I totally buy that. The fact that they actually have Peter Parker do something like fix his uncle's freezer in the basement. Yeah. The fact that he's got a, a little key next to his keyboard that does an automatic lock for his door. <laughs> These are things that tell you that this guy is smart enough that he can figure out problems. And I really enjoy that in this movie. Then we get to the supporting characters. If the only person who's acting in this movie convincingly is Andrew Garfield, sure, we get an interesting Spider-Man, but if we don't have believable characters around him, we're probably not going to enjoy the movie as much. Yeah. Uh, which is why it's great that we have uh, Emma Stone in this film as uh, Gwen Stacy. <laughs> Sorry, I've got so many names running through my head right now. I apologize. Uh, Gwen is uh, a classic love interest of Peter's in the comics. Uh, classically, her storyline starts, I want to say, just a handful of issues in and runs all the way up through Spider-Man 121, 
where uh, historically she is the love interest that dies. And that's the prime story for Gwen Stacy. And in comic books, she is probably tragedy number two or three uh, for Peter Parker, the great boss. Sure, he might have lost a fist fight, but this is the time that he loses someone he loves. And it defines the character for ages. So much so that in the Sam Raimi first Spider-Man film, the entire end sequence is the fight sequence from Spider-Man 121. The Green Goblin kidnaps Gwen Stacy, takes her to the top of a bridge, Spider-Man and the Green Goblin fight, the Green Goblin throws Gwen Stacy off the bridge. The movie ends differently than the comic book in Spider-Man the movie because it's big rah-rah Superman the movie style superhero film. Um, So we've got a love interest who is more than capable of a lot of things. She's able to talk down the bully in any given scene. People listen to her. She has her own agency, her own desires in this film. Multiple times she tells people, no, I'm going to go do this. Yeah. Um, and makes up her own mind. Uh, she, when faced with danger, she doesn't run and hide or just scream as a damsel. Uh, she contributes. She yeah. helps on multiple levels. She um, fights back. Yes, and it's learning from all of the mistakes of the Sam Raimi trilogy where the writers of those films did not know what to do with Kirsten Dunst's MJ. They just did not know what to do with her. Uh, You can blame sexism, you can blame old school Hollywood, you can blame the simplicity of the story they're trying to tell. For whatever reason, it failed that character. Emma Stone is incredibly well served in these movies. The character of Gwen is easily the best female character thus far in any of the Spider-Man films. Uh, Then, as far as supporting cast outside of that, uh, you've got Uncle Ben and Aunt May, played by Martin Sheen and Sally Field, who are so (laughs) overqualified for this film, and somehow buy in and sell their characters in this film. Uh... I don't feel a great deal of sadness when Cliff Robertson dies in Spider-Man 2002, mm-hmm. mainly because we never get any real attachment between him and Peter. Yeah. Uncle Ben and Aunt May might as well be Peter's landlords in, in Spider-Man 2002. Yeah. Or his grandparents. And I don't feel... Some of it's the reaction of Tobey Maguire. Some of it's the direction and and unrealistic setting. Like the fact that there's basically an audience for Uncle Ben bleeding out on the sidewalk. Um, Whereas in this film, Martin Sheen, again, huge fan, uh, delivers such a heartfelt performance as Uncle Ben to where I believe that Peter likes Uncle Ben. Not just because he puts a roof over his head and because he's an uncle, but because... He was a father to him. He was a father to him. There's a line that he gives to him uh, early on in the movie. He goes, Uncle Ben, you know what? You're a really great dad. Yeah. And and Martin Sheen bites his lip and just kind of takes that in as a compliment, and it chokes you up a bit. Because, 
uh, because Martin Sheen sells that moment. Sally Field through this whole movie, unfortunately, uh, doesn't have a ton to do besides be exasperated. To be fair, that's a lot of the Aunt May character. Yeah. Um, but she she does sell the relationship with Ben. I believe that these people have been married for 30 years. She also sells the mourning that she's in when Ben dies and the fact that she's exasperated for the fact that she is mourning the death of her husband and she's trying to take care of this kid who is going, as far as she knows, is on drugs, is going <laughs> nuts, dealing with some sort of psychological issue. She doesn't know. And she's at her, fights with all the bruises. And <laughs> she's at her wits end through the whole movie and, and you buy it. And the dynamic between her and Peter really works. Uh, the character work is phenomenal. Uh, the last character I'm going to mention is Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy, Gwen's father, who functions in a similar role to the J. Jonah Jameson role, except he's far more antagonistic. Yeah. He is an active barrier to the to Spider-Man. Um, and he functions effectively as a secondary antagonist to uh, the lizard played by Risa Fon. Uh, Risa Fon does a great job in this movie of playing Kirk Connors, the lizard. It's again that kind of one-two punch of it's Jekyll and Hyde, but it's got but he's got uh, lizard powers. Uh, there's not a lot beyond that. It's it's not too terribly deep. He does play it with a gravitas that really sells the role. Uh, I would put him and Alfred Molina as Doc Ock uh, hand in hand as uh, the one-two punch of uh, probably the greatest Spider-Man villains uh, for the five films we'll have talked about by the end of this week. Um, all of this to say, this movie is really, really good. It's really, really special. It is most certainly a product of 2012, uh, where Spider-Man 2002 is following the blueprint almost to a T of Superman the movie from 1978. Uh, this is very much following the mold of Batman Begins. Uh, you are going to see step by step the birth of this hero. Yeah. Um, every bit of it. And there's good to that. There's bad to that. Um, ultimately, I think it really works. Spider-Man and Batman have a lot in common, both in their mass appeal, but also in the execution of their smart guys who, who come from tragedy. And that's relatable. All of us have lost someone or something at some point. And that defines us to a certain extent. And so for these characters to come from that and achieve, even though there are limits on what they can do, they're not Superman. They're, they're these limited characters. We buy into it. Um, this film suffers mainly from a uh, hypercritical view. Uh, I will include myself in this. Uh, this was released two months after Avengers in 2012. Okay. Uh, by that point, the Marvel Cinematic Universe was in full swing. Uh, they had built individual superheroes into, uh, into a dynamic that they could work together or separately. And even now, 
Uh, next year will be the 10th anniversary of this film. Uh, Spider-Man in Solo hasn't taken off that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about it more next week. They tried. They tried to launch their own shared universe. And it didn't work. Yeah. And at one point, they even considered making this Spider-Man part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh the effects company that did Avengers also did the effects for this film, almost put the Oscorp building into Avengers. Last minute, pulled out, decided not to, and that was that. The universes were separate. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about this, the plot of The Amazing Spider-Man, uh, share some more things we liked, uh, the one or two things that might might have rubbed us a little bit the wrong way, Uh, and we'll wrap up before we look ahead to what's coming down the line. See you in just a moment. All right. We start The Amazing Spider-Man, released in 2012, the exact same way that Batman Begins starts. When I said that this film followed Batman Begins formula, I wasn't kidding. It literally starts and ends the same way. Uh, The film starts with a game of hide and seek. Uh, Peter is uh, a little boy, not yet Andrew Garfield. Um, And he is at his parents' house playing hide-and-seek, finds a broken window, and his dad runs in, grabs him and some secret files, and sweeps him off to uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May's house. So, all of this happens really quick. Um, It stands out from the original uh, Spider-Man films, and even from the new Spider-Man films, because we actually get to see Peter's parents. Mm -hmm. So in the comic books, uh, for a long time, Peter's parents were seldom, if ever, talked about uh, until the nine, I guess, 80s, 90s, when it was revealed that they were uh, scientists and also kind of spies. Uh, And this film, and especially the next film, really delve into that. Um, This is a part of the Spider-Man story that doesn't get a lot of traction. Uh, It also pulls from the Ultimate Spider-Man trilogy, where uh, Richard Parker is a part of the reason that Peter became Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. So... My theory that I shared while we were watching the film, and it only goes for these two films, is that Uncle Ben and Aunt May are not Peter's uncle and aunt. My theory is that they are former colleagues of Richard and Mary's. My reasoning for that is, in this film... We find that Richard was doing a great deal of uh, 
secret research for a shady organization, uh, a shady organization that insinuates in this film that they had Richard and Mary killed. And with all of that going on, you would think that as soon as stuff starts showing up and you start hearing the name Peter Parker, the next place anyone's going is to the uncle and aunt. Yeah. Uh, and that's not what happens. Yeah. So my theory is that uh, Ben and May Parker uh, are unrelated friends. Uh, that's head canon. It's not actual canon. It's just Mark's Mark's theories that help him get through the movie. Yeah. Uh, so we fast forward. Uh, we come to the future where now Peter is a handsome twenty-nine-year-old Andrew Garfield playing a seventeen, sixteen, seventeen-year-old high schooler. And he looks. 16 or 17. So, fun fact, Andrew Garfield is two years older in this film than Tobey Maguire was in the very first Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, and he looks about 10 years younger. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Garfield really looks like a high school student in this film. Uh, I, I think... A, his performance, but B, his look. He's also kind of lanky. Even as Spider-Man, he's not super muscular. Yeah. Uh, Cats are about to fight. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna knock that off. (laughs) Yeah, you're gonna move. I love you. Um, so his physicality, his demeanor, his performance all sell him as. 16 to 18 year old kid. Yeah. Uh, And we have what is known as the save the cat moment uh, when Peter comes in and sees a boy being bullied by Flash Thompson uh, and he he steps in to the bullied kid's defense. Uh, And then kind of on the sly, bullies Flash a little bit himself by calling him by his actual name, Eugene. Uh, and it sets up a really interesting dynamic that's not fully fleshed out in any of these movies that uh, Peter and Flash have known each other since they were kids. And it's the kind of thing where you grew up with someone, you've known him since kindergarten, you were around when they got the nickname that everyone calls them now and they've adopted it as their identity and you're not gonna you're not gonna humor them and that's very much Peter and Flash's uh, relationship even though Flash proceeds to beat the living tar out of Peter to the point that I said while we were watching the movie I'm pretty sure that that could be called a hate crime. Yeah. Um, so we find out that Peter is willing to stand up. No, no powers or anything. He's got some guts. He's got some courage. Great. Save the cat moment. Um, sets him up as a hero. Yeah. 
in the film. Already, no powers. He's going to try to do the right thing. Awesome. Um, Tobey Maguire would never have done that even with powers. Uh, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I mean, Peter Parker with with powers in the Tobey Maguire movies would have would have had to have seen a girl in trouble to, to actually step in. Um, yeah. Uh, editorializing. All right, moving on. Uh, so we are introduced to Gwen and Peter's relationship. They are aware of each other. Peter has kind of a crush on her. Um, but they're, they're not actively talking until this film. In this film, they start talking to each other and they start a flirtatious relationship that moves to a dating relationship in this movie. And again, the chemistry between these two actors, it sells this movie. Uh, lesser performances of the same lines could have been cringeworthy. They sell the lines. So, uh, they like each other uh, enough, but they're not dating or anything. They just, you know, they flirt in passing. They're teenagers. Yeah. That's how teenagers act. They don't write each other 30-page love poems. <laughs> they flirt with each other in the high, in the high school hallway. Yeah. Um, we go home and we meet uh, Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Uh, Uncle Ben is clearing out the basement because it's flooding, because the freezer is broken. Uh, uh, Aunt May is shocked and appalled that Peter has bruises all over him. And he goes, oh yeah, I got these skateboarding. And Uncle Ben goes, yeah, he's. it's because they're young and stupid. That's, that's why. Remember when we were young and stupid? Aunt May goes, no. And he goes, well, we were. And so Uncle Ben and Peter go downstairs and... Uh, and there's this great moment where Uncle Ben looks at him and goes, all right, do I need to call someone's parents? Do, do I need to get involved? Yeah. And he goes, no, Uncle Ben, no. He goes, he goes, listen, your aunt may not know, but I know that's a right hook. I, 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 I could recognize that anywhere. And it's, it's this great moment. They have an open conversation. They're talking about fixing the freezer while at the same time just talking through the day. Um, in the process of things, Ben grabs some stuff from the freezer to take back upstairs to salvage it, and he says, hey, if there's anything else else worth salvaging down here, go ahead and grab it. Peter finds his dad's old notebook. He takes it upstairs. Uh, Sally Field and uh, Martin Sheen give a great performance of people who know something um, but don't want to share it uh, when they see the notebook uh, or the uh, briefcase. Yeah. It contains a notebook, but briefcase. Um, they say, yeah, it was your dad's. He said to hold on to it for him. Uh, and then they mention his da uh, Peter's dad being a very secretive man. Uh, Peter goes up to his room, starts searching... Ben knocks on the door and says, Peter, I wasn't fully honest with you. Shares, yeah, you mentioned this Dr. Kurt Connors in passing. Uh, yeah, your dad used to work with him. 
Peter finds out more about Kirk Connors, that he's got an internship that uh, is going on at Oscorp. Peter goes in. Uh, I really like the massive dwarfs the entire city Oscorp building. Um, there is an alternate universe where Batman v Superman was a was a good movie and a great movie, um, as opposed to this movie where the theatrical movie was not and the director's cut was redeemable. Um, and in that movie, uh, in the alternate universe, we get the Superman Batman version of this. It's the bad guy owns the corporate structure and Peter goes into Oscorp. We get Norman Osborn in profile because they hadn't cast an actor yet to play Norman Osborn. Um, and because we've seen these movies, we already know, hey, Norman Osborn's kind of a bad guy. But even as they're setting up this film, they're kind of filling in the backstory. He was an inventor. He, he started this great business. Um, and then we find out through dialogue in, in this series of events that Norman Osborn is dying, but no one knows. Um, take a sip of water. So Peter goes in, pretends to be uh, someone he's obviously not. Uh, this poor kid gets kicked out of the building and probably has his life ruined. Um, and Peter sneaks in, uh, shows off for Gwen. She's like, all right, I know you're not who you say you are, but like, all right, be cool. Be cool. All right, stay with the tour group. Be cool. So, of course... Peter immediately sneaks away and into what I like to call the nightmare room, uh, full of spiders, uh, spinning webs. Uh, cool thing about the scene, uh, in this franchise, Spider-Man gets his web fluid from, uh, it's basically these little compact cartridges that are used in this universe for, like, high tensile cord. Um, Another fun fact is that's actually got its basis in scientific fact. There are applications for spider's webs uh, in modern manufacturing. Uh, it takes a lot, but uh, spider's webs, specific spider's webs, are used in the manufacture of certain uh, ballistics material like Kevlar um, and even some parachutes, I do believe. Um, but it's not quite to the level of the the sci-fi in this movie again it's that batman begins idea of ground it in reality but tell a fantastic story and so peter gets bit by a spider on his way out of the building when when she sees him immediately he's like all right you're leaving give me your badge you're gone um i'm not getting fired because of you you're cute i'm not getting fired because of you uh, Peter goes home on the subway, uh, assaults a bunch of people because he freaks out after his spider bite. Um, this is a scene I don't love, uh, just because no one in this scene in the subway car is acting reasonable. Yeah. Uh, to, to start the situation in the situation after the situation no one 
no one is acting like a human being. I understand what they're trying to do. They're they're demonstrating, hey, he's got his powers. Yeah. Uh, people on New York subway are jerks. You know, I I get that. We could have done this differently. Yeah. Now, like the guy balances a beer on his forehead because he's asleep on the subway. Yeah. Everybody's watching him, and so when he wakes up, kind of freaking out that somebody, you know. Not knowing what's there, he kind of freaks out, and the beer gets spilled. And this other girl, she's mad at Peter for. It, and it only escalates. Yeah. He puts his hand on her shoulder. Shouldn't do that. Uh, and because he's got sticky fingers, he rips her shirt off. Uh, at this point, like, okay, that's that's assault. Yeah. Uh, then he proceeds to beat beat up these guys in quotes accidentally. Yeah. And. Again, no one looks good at the end of this. Yeah. Every, everyone's a bad guy. <laughs> um, fun fun thing, listening to people talk about this movie after the fact. Uh, Peter apparently rides the line all the way to Coney Island. Peter lives in Queens. Coney Island and Queens are a considerable ways away from each other, and he runs home. <laughs> Uh, Peter gets home looking like he's on crystal meth, uh, eats all the food in the fridge, um, wakes up the next morning, blows up his toothpaste bottle, uh, tears the door handle off, tears off the the sink thing. Uh, Really funny way of dealing with him figuring out he has spider powers. Um, And... I, I like it a lot more than I went to school the next day and figured out I had spider powers. Yeah. In the Tobey Maguire movies, it's impossible that not everyone knows that he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, by the end of this movie, it's very difficult to believe that most people don't know that Andrew Garfield, uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Uh, but I feel like he would have lasted a little longer. Yeah. Um, so Peter's got spider powers um, he decides to use it like all skateboarders would uh, to do cool tricks in, in the yards after school um, while he's at school uh, Flash being a jerk knocks over some paint on a girl's poster Uh and decides to be a real jerk about it. She's like, you did that on purpose. And he goes, no, but I should have. You better watch your back. And I'm like, whoa. What was that? What was that? I'm like, what did this girl do to Flash? Like, did she paint some, like, hate speech on his locker or something? Did she do something Maybe horrible? Maybe he asked her out and she said no. She, she shunned him. Yeah. She's been rejecting him for years. <laughs> And he's just, he's really jaded now. (laughs) Flash has a tragic backstory. We never get to hear it, but Flash has a tragic backstory. Um, So Peter faces off against Flash and ends up just, as is phrased in a couple minutes after the scene, humiliates Flash (laughs) in front of everyone uh, by not just keeping the ball away from him, but just plowing over him and then smashing a backboard (laughs) down right in front of him. 
by dunking the basketball. Um, Peter gets in trouble for this instead of getting a call to Uncle Ben saying, we would like you to sign a permission slip. We want your son on the varsity basketball team. Um, And we get a variation on the scene we got in the very first Spider-Man. There are a lot of variations on that first movie in this, but it is enough of a different take that I don't, I don't hate it. I actually very much like it. We talked about the Ghostbusters remake feeling like it had to hit all the points, but none of them feeling satisfying. This felt satisfying to me because where Ghostbusters 1984 versus 2016, the first one got everything right and the second one never quite landed it. Spider-Man 2002 we tolerated a lot to get to Spider-Man existing. This pulls off everything that makes Spider-Man happen. I like it more. Um, it's not for everybody. I want to acknowledge that up front. For me, this is my preferred Spider-Man. We, uh, we get the conversation between Peter and Uncle Ben in the school hallway where he's like, hey, I don't know what you're going through right now, but kind of kind of not cool that you humiliated this kid in front of everybody literally just this thing of like come on man be cool and and he's like look there are consequences to you doing this i had to switch shifts at work to be able to come deal with this in the principal's office you have to pick up your aunt tonight peter's like yeah yeah, yeah that's cool and then as soon as school's over uh Oh, we get a cute, again, flirting scene. Tons of flirting scenes in this movie. I'm not going to cover all of them. Yeah. Lots. That's kind of where he asked her out. Yes. Without asking her out. Yeah, like a high school (laughs) kid does. Because they're in high school. That's how it works. Anyhow. uh, So, Peter goes and he is enjoying life so much. He's... He's got the number of this girl. Uh, He's got spider powers. He knows he's getting closer to what was going on with his dad, with Kirk Connors, and is figuring out some really cool science. So much so that he loses track of time. And when he gets home, discovers that he let down his aunt and uncle. And they're angry. And they, they confront him about it. And what I really like about this scene is Peter is physically and emotionally exhausted. Mm -hmm. He has been going nonstop for a few days. He is literally, his entire DNA has probably changed. And he's trying to get closer to what's going on with his dad without being able to get closer. And now his uncle and his aunt are literally standing between him and being able to go to bed. Yeah. On their side, he is acting up. He looks like he's on drugs. And he is blowing off responsibility. Like, repeatedly. And so, they have a genuine argument. It feels justified on all sides. I look at it from Peter's side and I'm like, yeah, I see why you're kind of upset right now. I look at it from Aunt May and Uncle Ben. I'm like, yeah, I get why you're upset right now. 
and they uh, uh, you you guys can't see the look on Betsy's face. Uh, apparently, the cat farted, and yeah, I'm holding my nose. Uh, so, guys, be glad that this is not a, a smell cast. It is a podcast. Um, so, Bobby, I love that you're comfortable with Mom. I wish you weren't that comfortable. Anyhow, uh, the the argument in this scene is great. Uh, not that it's great that people are fighting, but because all of the pent-up resentment Peter has of people keeping things from him about his parents comes out. All of the anger he has at not being able to control things comes out. Everything comes out sideways. Nothing comes out healthy. As someone who is just now learning how to, starting to learn how to process anger, I'm sitting there watching that. I'm like, oh, you were doing everything wrong. You were doing exactly what I've done in multiple times where you're not really fighting about what's really bothering you, but everything comes out sideways. And Aunt May and Uncle Ben handle it like pros. And Peter storms out. They take a minute. They take a breath. And Uncle Ben's like, okay, I gotta go get him. It's too late. It's too late for him to be out there alone. He needs to know that he's not alone. I need to go get him. And and Uncle Ben goes out and starts calling for him. And there's this great moment where uh, Martin Sheen is walking through the streets of New York and Peter is standing up like on a telephone pole overlooking and just it's that point where someone's trying to find you and they really want your good but you are in such a funk you don't want to talk to anyone yeah. and it's such a teenage moment it's this this moment of angst and uh, a moment later Peter's cooling down and he goes to uh, the local bodega and he goes in and he's picking up a chocolate milk and he's two cents shy. The guy won't let him take two pennies from the take a penny, leave a penny. He pulls up, he pulls out some crap about it being store policy. You have to spend 10 bucks to take a penny. And it's like, you're just being a jerk. Yeah. And, and Peter's like, I, I don't have it. And the guy's like, well, move aside then. And of course, the guy who comes in behind knocks over a display and then steals all the money out of the drawer, tosses chocolate milk to Peter. And the guy's upset. And he's like, hey, help me stop that guy. And I don't blame Peter for saying, no, no. First of all, the, the guy stole maybe 60 bucks. Yeah. And and secondly, you're a jerk. No. <laughs> also, when the uh, the store clerk storms out, does not lock up the store, just leaves it there. Yeah. Um this is the point in the movie that is bittersweet to me. Sweet in that the scene where Uncle Ben dies it hits for me. Mm-hmm. 
bitter in that the way Uncle Ben gets shot is so needless. Yeah. Because the guy trips, drops a gun, and instead of Uncle Ben being like, whoa, 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 man, I'd, and the guy panicking and shooting Uncle Ben, which would kind of make sense. The guy's feeling cornered. He shoots mm-hmm. Uncle Ben. It's the guy's fault. And and now Spider-Man. Instead, Uncle Ben brings his own shooting on himself. Yeah. By diving after the gun. Um, and that doesn't work for me. What does work for me is Andrew Garfield's performance as he finds Uncle Ben in the gutter by himself. Yeah. As opposed to Spider-Man 2002 where Cliff Robertson is in the middle of easily 40 people, including four cops, and no one is helping Uncle Ben. Yeah. Peter finds his uncle already shot and bleeding. He comes upon it after the shooting. Yeah. Uncle Ben's already dead. And Peter reacts and just wails. And it sells that scene. And he stumbles home, gives a police report, and we get the sorrow of the moment and of the night. And Sally Field really sells this scene where she just breaks down. And I I believe in the world of, of this movie at this point. And this is where Peter finds out the description of the robber. He's got a star tattoo on his wrist. He looks like Chad Kroger, um, the singer of the hero song from Spider-Man 2002. And okay. it's okay. And he now has a mission to find Chad Kroger. And in just a moment, we will talk about that mission. All right, and we pick up with the search for Chad Kroger. Chad, Chad Kroger? Yes. Like the grocery store Kroger? No, Chad Kroger as in uh, one of the lead singers of Nickelback. Uh, anyhow. <laughs> So, uh, Peter knows that this dirtbag is out there. He apparently likes to wear sunglasses at night, has long hair, a soul patch, and a star tattoo on his left wrist. Uh, so Peter goes and chases down a guy who looks like that, who looks like he's roughing up a woman. I'm guessing that he's a pimp and she is one of his ladies, um, and starts a fight with a bunch of people. We get some really great choreography, some uh, neat parkour as he gets away, uh, only for him to eventually fall through the ceiling of uh, Jim. Guy calls after Peter, we know what you look like, and Peter looks up and sees a luchador mask on the wall and is like, ah, that gives me an idea. And so... uh, Peter starts wearing a mask around and sunglasses, so his face is obscured. Uh, Pay attention to this. He has noticed that it's important that he wears a mask around. Uh, This will come back later. Uh, So he starts going around in uh, 
basically sunglasses and a hood. Uh, he's starting to do everything that a spider can. He builds his own web shooters. Uh, I like that his biology didn't change inside of him to where he could shoot webs. He had to figure that out on his own. So, from a storytelling streamline perspective, it works in, in the Sam Raimi movies. There's a lot that doesn't work in those movies for me. Yeah. That works. This movie early on sets up that Peter is smart enough to build little doodads and gadgets and fix yeah. things to where it is believable that he would build his own web shooters. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I, I like in this movie... Again, it's Batman Begins to a T is the assembling of the parts of the Spider-Man outfit. Uh, eventually, the whole reason he ends up wearing the superhero unitard is because it cuts down on drag. Um, he notices that the people who move the fastest are always the people like on the bobsled team who are wearing these uh, Lycra uniforms that it it's able to be skin tight and you can move really, 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 really quickly. Um, everything has a purpose. Again, it's the Batman Begins of it all. Yeah. Um, what they never really give uh, a great cause to is why the color scheme. Yeah. I can understand the spider on the costume. I can understand a, a lot of it. The color scheme is never really made clear. Why red and blue? Um, they could have... I might have spent more time explaining that rather than the spandex. Yeah. Uh, but, anyhow, uh, Spider-Man uh, continues his quest for Chad Kroger uh, to a parking lot uh, where he tracks down uh, a car thief as he is attempting to steal from a valet lot. And this Spider-Man immediately is very different than Tobey Maguire's in that there are actual, like, smart aleck comments being thrown around. He makes fun of the criminal for being kind of dumb. Um, and even becomes a little cruel uh, when he webs up the, the car thief. Like, he webs his mouth and nose shut. I'm like, this is getting kind of dark. Yeah. Um, and as soon as he sees that the guy doesn't have the tattoo, he pops the guy's nose holes clear. But I'm like, what would he have done if the dude had had the star on? Yeah. And uh, the cops roll up and they try to arrest Spider-Man. Spider-Man, like, mouths off to him and, and webs away. And... Around this time, Peter goes to dinner with, uh, Gwen? with Gwen. <laughs> Sorry, I keep thinking Emma, Emma Stone. <laughs> I keep thinking uh, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone instead of Peter and and Gwen. <laughs> um, but they go to dinner, and it's here at uh, Gwen's family's home. 
uh, a penthouse apartment in Manhattan, by the way. Uh, I would love to know what Gwen's mom does because there's no way a police captain is bringing down enough to live in a penthouse apartment in Midtown Manhattan. Maybe she's a lawyer. Or something. Uh, anyhow, uh, maybe she's a drug dealer and that's how they met. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, they have a nice, tense family meeting. Uh, just, if you haven't seen this movie, imagine people bringing up politics at the family dinner table and you've got you've got the family dinner at the at the Stacy house. And so uh, this this meeting of at the house is just tense the whole way through, but it's wonderful because I think every one of us has been at the dinner table and the one person who shouldn't bring up a topic politically at the table does and it inevitably stirs something for someone else who disagrees and before you know it everyone's kind of mad at each other <laughs> over something that usually is kind of marginal to them but they they argue about it passionate passionately and what i love about this conversation is it demonstrates that a captain stacy really does care about his job and really he does believe in what he's doing and so it paints him as a good cop and also as he's speaking he nails what's wrong with spider-man in this mm -hmm. primarily that he's not heroic he's hunting yeah. and in the Tobey Maguire movie everything he does is okay I'm going to be altruistic and this Spider-Man is he's hunting criminals because he's trying to catch the guy who killed his Uncle Ben uh, and it's never really expressed what his plan is once he finds the guy it's just this is what he's going after and so Captain Stacy says, no, every guy this guy Spider-Man brings in looks exactly the same, has the same profile. He's like, he's like, he's hunting for somebody. He's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. And it nails Peter. And, and Peter has nothing to say to that. He, he's like, well, this guy looks like he's trying to do something nice. And he's like, no, he's hunting. And... After this conversation, Peter walks away from the dinner table, excuses himself. He's talking with Gwen, confesses who he is. Um, and I like that we get that early on because it gives Peter a confidant. It gives him someone to talk to. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't play out the relationship, will they, won't they, because she doesn't know it it adds attention to the relationship because now she does know. And something I said while we were watching the movie was I love this relationship because Gwen loves Peter. Yeah. There's no question. Gwen is in the relationship for Peter Parker because she likes Peter Parker. Yeah. Mary Jane has a Spider-Man fetish. Yeah. And is after Spider-Man. And Peter is the consolation prize. 
and it always feels that way. Yeah. And so these two feel like they have an actual grounds for a relationship that continues. And Peter hears sirens and, and heads towards the sirens. And when he leaves, Gwen says, I'm in trouble. Because she knows she is now caught between that same dynamic that was at the dinner table in reality now. Yeah. Um, it is no longer hypothetical. This is now reality. Uh, and so Peter goes off. Uh, Dr. Connors has injected himself with the lizard serum. And he is going after this. Uh, we're just going to call him Mr. Badman. Uh, I don't have his name. Uh, <laughs> just because this guy is like wanting to do human trials on like a VA hospital. Uh-huh. And he's, he is the most one dimensional villain in this movie. And he even plays it with just enough restraint that I'm like, okay, this is a corporate bad guy. I, I get it. A uh, fun little cameo here. Uh, the limo driver for Mr. Badman is, uh, the, is uncle Ben's killer from Spider-Man 2002. The limo driver uh -huh. for the Indian gentleman who is uh -huh. working for Norman Osborn. The limo driver is the guy who in Spider-Man 2002 shot Uncle Ben and drove away and Spider-Man chased him down and then made him trip. There are air quotes there. <laughs> so, I did not know that. Yes. So Spider-Man goes down, confronts this lizard creature, saves a bunch of cars, including a great scene where he saves a little boy from a car. Uh, little boy's father, played by C. Thomas Howell of Outsiders fame. Uh, and this is the first real heroic act that Spider-Man has done. Not the first heroic act Peter has done. The first heroic act that Spider-Man has done. Uh, first heroic act uh, attempting to save the boy from bullying yeah. at the beginning of the movie. So, now Peter knows that there's this lizard creature he needs to be tracking down. Goes to talk to Dr. Connors the next day. Dr. Connors is real cagey, and uh, as Peter's leaving, he sees the rat that they were experimenting on has transformed into a horrifying monster and has eaten half of the other rat um and peter does the exact right thing in this movie uh in most superhero movies genre movies in general people lose any and all common sense yeah whatsoever and i'm gonna do it by myself and i'm not gonna tell anyone Peter immediately goes to the cops. He goes to Captain Stacy. He's like, hey, Dr. Connors is up to some stuff. You need to go investigate him, check him out, bring him in. I'm not sure what's going on, but, but you need to check it out. And he's really cynical with him. He's very dismissive. And as soon as he leaves the room, he's like, okay, we need to, we need to check up on Dr. Connors. Yeah. Uh, and it's really great because Peter does exactly what he's supposed to do and reporting it to authority. Captain Stacy has to investigate it now. Yeah. And does, because a threat has been announced. And to ignore it out of hand is just dumb. 
at the very least, you need to pull up the paperwork, make a couple phone calls at the very least. And that's what he does. And it, it's people doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, so Peter knows that this thing is down in the sewer. He goes down and starts investigating. Uh, and I, I enjoy this scene just because he uses the webs like a spider web where he actually places it around to feel for vibrations the way a spider would to hunt its prey <coughs> and sets a little trap so he can get pictures of, of the lizard. Um, eventually the lizard catches up with Spider-Man. They fight. Uh, they have an underwater uh They have an underwater fight in the sewer and the entire time I'm just like, ah, oh, it's gross. He is going to smell like caca as soon as he gets out of there. And uh, also he is wearing a full face mask. So he is being waterboarded by poo poo water. It is horrifying. The only thing that's grosser than it is he gets a scratch in his chest in this poo poo water. Yeah. And then goes over and makes out with his girlfriend. And the whole time I'm like, oh, oh, I hope he showered. Oh, it would have been better if he'd not been in the costume because with him wearing the costume, it's very obvious that he hasn't showered. Yeah. And uh, that that's a moment I could have done without because they... They open mouth kiss, and I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> it's so disgusting. Yeah. And then Captain Stacy walks up to the room, uh, and she plays it off uh, that she's having cramps, and and super moody, which that's that was viable because she was yelling at him a second before. <laughs> well, what's what's not believable is that so he has been down in raw sewage. He would stink so bad you would smell him three buildings over. He does not walk to his daughter's room and go, Sweetheart, why does your room smell like a sewer? Yeah. Um, anyhow, we're going to move past that because I enjoy this movie a great deal. This is... I'm pointing out the flaws in the thing I love. Yes. So we move on. Uh, in the process of all the stuff going down, the lizard found... Peter's camera that was conveniently labeled yeah. uh, with his name. Property of Peter Parker. Totally something that a high schooler would do. Yes. Uh, especially since you've only got one camera. Yeah. Um, but the lizard attacks Peter's school the next day. Uh, we get some really cool Spider-Man lizard fight. Uh, the best Stanley cameo ever where he's the oblivious librarian who doesn't <laughs> notice the fight going on around him. Uh, and the lizard almost has the drop on Peter and uh, Gwen comes out of nowhere and just smashes him with a trophy yeah. and then after Peter webs up the lizard he uh, he breaks a window and says I'm going to throw you out the window now and then tosses her out and I love the dynamic because she is not screaming for help she is not helpless yeah. um but they work together as a team. Yeah. Uh, after everything's said and done, P 
Peter's trying to track down where the lizard ran off to. And this is my next problem with this movie. Peter starts taking off his mask. Earlier in the movie, big point of wearing a mask everywhere because they knew who he was. Yeah. Peter is walking through the school with the Spider-Man costume on, but no mask. <laughs> it's a school post 9-11 in New York City. There are cameras everywhere. He then goes down into the sewer again without the mask. I imagine it's because he's afraid of being waterboarded again. Yeah. Uh, and tracks down Doc Connor's place where he conveniently left his plan on a recording. Uh, I don't hate it because it works yeah. for the sake of this movie. Uh, Peter calls Gwen says, hey, I need you to get a, get a cure made. Uh, the file should be there in the office. After he finds this video, he's like, oh, crap, that's where he's headed. Uh, the lizard's headed to Oscorp. So he calls Gwen, and he's like, hey, you need to get out of there. And she goes, no, I'm, I'm almost done with this cure. And he goes, no, seriously, you need to get out of there. And she gets this idea. She gets this look on her face, and she goes, I'm going to get everybody out of here. And she evacuates the building with a fire alarm. And agency decision driving her own plot forward knowing I, that she's in danger she didn't run and hide from it yes and when she does in a moment skipping ahead I'll skip over the lizard starts turning people into lizards on the street gets to Oscorp um, Gwen has to hide hides in a closet and it's like, well, that's kind of damselly. Well, then the lizard gets the drop on her. She uses an aerosol can and a lighter as a flamethrower. Yeah. And I'm like, way to go, Gwen. Keeping it 100 for this movie. Um, the lizard goes up to start his doomsday device. In the meantime, Spider-Man is trying to get across town. Captain Stacy's men are not letting up. Uh, Peter gets tased. Uh gets handcuffed, breaks out of the handcuffs. Captain Stacy has the drop on Peter with Peter's mask off. And Captain Stacy has a choice and lets Peter go. But in the process, Spider-Man is shot in the leg. Spider-Man has to get across town, but his leg's wounded. Um, conveniently, the news lets the crane operators in Manhattan know that Spider-Man's in trouble and they line up all the cranes so he can get across town. Is it cheesy? 100%. Unrealistic? Yeah, they're evacuating the city. They couldn't get these crane operators out there for less than triple time. I adore this moment. It is unrealistic. It is stupid. I adore it. Because as the music swells and those crane operators line it up so where Spider-Man can swing to Oscorp, I am all in on this movie. So Spider-Man swings across town, gets to Oscorp. Uh, we get Gwen is coming down as Captain Stacy arrives, uh, hands the cure off to him. Spider-Man goes up and fights the lizard, about gets offed uh, when Captain Stacy saves the day. Uh, shooting his shotgun at the at the monster 
uh, he holds him at bay while, Pe while Peter goes to put the cure in. Captain Stacy gets mortally wounded. Uh, Peter gets the cure in just in time to for it to set off this device that sets out a cloud that cures all the lizard people, including Doc Connors. Uh, in the fight that the lizard and Peter had had, Doc Connors had crushed the web shooters, um, which is a great device in any superhero or spy movie. Take away all the toys, make them use their uh, wits about them. Um, Peter's barely hanging on, and Dr. Connors helps him up in one last act of humanity. Um, Peter goes over to Captain Stacy. Captain Stacy says, no, I was wrong about you. The city needs you. I have one request. Leap went out of it. And Peter goes, yeah. And uh, then Captain Stacy dies. Uh, we go to his funeral. Peter doesn't go to his funeral. Gwen goes and confronts him immediately. Um, remember in the remember in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies when no one talked to anyone <laughs> yeah. about anything? Uh, Gwen immediately goes to Peter and is like, "Hey, everyone was there. Literally, people who I haven't seen in ages were there. Why weren't you there?" In tears begging the, the guy she has given her heart to uh, and shared poo-poo water kisses with. <laughs> Why weren't you there? And he's like, I, I can't. We're, we can't do this. And she steps down the steps, turns around and goes, he told you to do this. He made you promise. And again... Gwen Stacy just owning this movie. And he doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't. She walks away. Aunt May says, hey, she's a pretty girl. She's a nice girl. You should ask her out. And uh, Peter sorting things out, figuring it out, and listens to the voicemail from Uncle Ben again. And... Uh, And Uncle Ben basically reaffirms, hey, you, I know you're going through some stuff. I know you're dealing with a lot. I know that life is hard right now, but you're gifted. And remember, Uncle Ben doesn't know he's Spider-Man. And, but for, it's a convenient voicemail. But again, it sells this moment of, hey, I love you. Come home. And those are the last lines, and I tear up a little bit at it. Again, I know it's cheesy. This is my version of your Hallmark movie channels <laughs> and all that goofiness, but this this is my cheesiness. Um, Peter goes to school, goes up to Gwen. Uh, he tells his teacher he won't be late again. She says, don't make promises you can't keep, and he leans in close to Gwen and goes, well, those the best kind and uh, we end on Spider-Man swinging away except there is a post credit scene we didn't watch it this time Dr. Connors is in jail he is visited by 
a stranger in a fedora and trench coat who asks if uh, if anyone knows what really happened to the Parkers and that he'll be in touch. Uh, this character is someone known as the Gentleman who formed a little super villain group called the Sinister Six in Marvel Comics. It was setting something up that ultimately would never come to fruition, mm -hmm. but it was a neat little post-credit scene. Completely unnecessary. We didn't watch it this time. Yeah. But <coughs> for the sake of this movie, it would have been fine. Um. Yeah. Uh. I'm trying to figure out if I want to take a break now and then come back and summarize or if I can summarize this in three minutes. We're going to shoot for three minutes summary. Okay. Um, I really enjoy this movie. It, it blends together a lot of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type villainy of Spider-Man comic books and even the Sam Raimi movies. It brings in a lot of the actually really good stuff from the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And then it... Mark Webb stacked the deck with the actors. Andrew Garfield is a fantastic Peter Parker Spider-Man. Emma Stone is great as Gwen. Actually, it's the best version of Gwen I've ever seen portrayed anywhere. Um... Martin Sheen and Sally Field are great as Uncle Ben and Aunt May. Um, all of these people sell the roles. Uh, Dennis Leary as a cynical police captain? Yes, please. I buy these characters because the actors sell it as reality. Heightened reality, but reality. The the Spider-Man movies of Tobey Maguire felt so unreal. They very much fit in that fantasy realm. Whereas this felt more like hard sci-fi. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy it. Um, it's not for everybody. Some people really prefer the Tobey Maguire movies. If you do, good on you. Yeah. This, this is my Spider-Man. Um, and I really, really enjoy it. I'm excited for next week. Next week is such a mess of a movie, but I love it so much. <laughs> I it's it's my mess. Like I I love I love the mess that it is. Uh -huh. I can't wait to talk about it. How flawed, how deeply, deeply flawed it is, and how much I love it, and how sad I am that it gets. It doesn't get enough respect for for what it did pull off. For, for all the failures that it does it does execute there's so many successes that get overlooked so I'm really looking forward to uh, we're going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man 2 we're hoping that'll be out to you by Monday um, no promises we're going to try just because uh, I really 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 want to go over into the Spider-Verse before Spider-Man No Way Home if anything gets punted, it will be that. Yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for sitting with us as I gushed over my favorite Spider-Man movie. <laughs> um, looking forward to sharing more of Andrew Garfield's exploits uh, in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, and uh, 
Hope you'll enjoy some of your favorite things this Thanksgiving break. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>